you're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. Well, peace be with you. Well, and good morning. My name is Reed. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn Montrose. It's my joy to welcome you to our gathering this morning and this holiday weekend. We're so glad you're here. Just to reiterate um, that welcome Cole gave at the beginning, if you are new or you've been coming around for a little while, we would love to invite you um, to belonging into belonging at our congregation a couple ways. One, we've got a map of all of our neighborhood parishes. Neighborhood parishes are just where we're gathering, sharing a meal every week, and um, talking about what's going on in our lives, praying with one another, opening God's word. So that's that's where we do community, and we'd love to talk to you about um, possibly visiting one of those this week. We have Wednesday and Thursday and Sunday night neighborhood parishes. And second, if you've been around a little bit, we have a membership class, not this Sunday, but next Sunday from noon to two, uh, right here. And that is free for you to attend. It's a great time to learn about who Sojourn Montrose is, what we believe, ask any questions, learn how to plug in. Um, so I want to invite you into that uh, to, to join us for that. You can register online, or if you want to just tell us this Sunday, hey, I, I want to come to that membership class. We'd love for you to come. Um, and as you just heard, uh, Christy t- uh read, we are in Jonah. We are continuing our walk through Jonah, just a short four-week sermon series through um, this book of Jonah. And um, if you've been with us or you haven't, the quick story is that God had told Jonah to go to the city, to go to Nineveh, and proclaim that Nineveh would be destroyed because of their evilness, because of their wickedness. And Jonah flees from God's presence. He takes a boat to a place called Tarshish, and God uh, uses the situation, the scenario, to awaken Jonah and really the sailors to this evil thing that Jonah has done in fleeing God's God's presence and fleeing from God's message. And they throw Jonah overboard, and that's where he famously gets swallowed by this whale or fish um, and is there for three days. And now we see um, that this whale has vomited up Jonah. And now, given a second chance to obey God, Jonah miraculously obeys. Uh, So let me pray for our time in Jonah um, 3, and we'll see what happens in Nineveh um, through Jonah. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I pray that we would not, um, gosh, not condemn or, uh, or, or, distance ourselves from Jonah, but rather we might find uh, ourselves in him in some ways and realize that uh, we flee from your presence often and we shirk what you have called us to do often in your word. And and I pray that we wouldn't um, see him necessarily as foolish, but instead see you as magnificent, you as glorious, as you call people to repentance for your glory, as you pour out mercy and justice so I pray that we would rest in these things. Help us learn from Jonah chapter 3 this morning and, um, and help us learn from the history of Nineveh through your servant who you appointed. Um, yeah, we love you. Would you be with us this morning? In your name we pray, amen. So right out of the mouth of this whale, uh, Jonah or fish, Jonah is given this second chance at renewed obedience. And like I said, unsurprisingly, after all that Jonah's been through, after being cast in the ocean, swallowed by a fish, vomited on a seashore, unsurprisingly, Jonah now obeys God. 
uh, right? So let me, or let me read uh, the end of chapter 2 really quick, and we'll, we'll read a little bit of the beginning of chapter 3. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And then, on that dry land covered in whale vomit, the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord, now, Nineveh was this exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth, and Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey deep, and he calls out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So this is a renewed Jonah. This is a redeemed Jonah, it seems, as after everything he's been through, he, he is awoken to God's uh, true calling and God's true word for his life, and he has decided, unsurprisingly, to listen to God's word now, having been vomited by a whale on the seashore. And when Jonah arrives in Nineveh, the call is no less frightening than it was at the beginning of Jonah 1, right? Remember, Nineveh is this major city in the Assyrian Empire. It's a people and a city particularly known for their brutality and, um, and the death that they cause, particularly their evilness, their wickedness. Uh, in Assyria, kings had been regularly overthrown. There had been famine. There had been war. There had been death. Nineveh was particularly brutal, and Jonah knew that. That's why he fleed from God's presence and God's calling. More importantly, God knew it. God knew that Nineveh and Assyria were wicked and evil and brutal. God knew that they were evil, and it um, Nineveh certainly didn't follow God's moral laws. They didn't follow Yahweh, God, the God of the Old Testament and the New, our God. They didn't follow him at all. They worshipped pagan gods, and uh, those gods often demanded human sacrifice and death. And the, the city was built on, really built upon defying the moral laws of God's people. Um, they defied the decrees, laws, ways, and life of Yahweh, the God of Jonah and our God. And so we're told this journey through Nineveh, as, as Jonah meanders around the city and preaches to everybody in Nineveh, we're told it takes three days, and it's just like the time in the belly of a fish for Jonah. It turns out Nineveh is this new belly of this new beast that Jonah is being thrust into by God. So he goes into the belly of the wicked city. And his message for Nineveh is this, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. This is um, a brief summary of his address to the Ninevites, but it didn't need to be much longer, right? His message is simply this, 40 more days and God's wrath will be poured out in the city of evil. That's his message. My God will pour out judgment on you, Nineveh. Quite notably, Jonah never promises the people of Nineveh that if they do believe in God, and if they do believe that his wrath is coming in judgment upon them, and if they do turn from their wickedness, Jonah never says that God will relent from his wrath. Jonah never makes a promise or hints at any hope for the people of Nineveh. He simply tells them, destruction is coming. And certainly based on Jonah 4, Jonah did not anticipate the outcome that happens in Nineveh. Jonah believed he was sent to preach wrath because he believed that wrath was coming. Just and righteous judgment for sin from his God, Yahweh, was coming for this wicked enemy city. But much to Jonah's surprise, and ours possibly, something happens that was unexpected. The Assyrians don't take Jonah as prisoner 
They don't hang him. They don't flay him as they were known to do to outsiders, especially ones who had come in and proclaimed their destruction. What they do is they listen to Jonah. They hear the word of God from Jonah. They hear that wrath is coming from this foreign God, and we're told they believe in God. Let's read verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So this man, disheveled, wearing wet clothing, smelling like whale vomit, yelling in the middle of the city that destruction is coming, is heard. In Houston, there's almost no chance that we'd believe this person, right? Like if you saw a guy in the middle of downtown who was covered in whale vomit, who smelt like whale vomit and seaweed, proclaiming that the end was near, would you run to sackcloth and ash and fasting? This is unbelievable. Like, they believe Jonah, and we're told not, not only do they believe Jonah because Jonah's Jonah or Jonah's great, it just says they believed in God. They didn't take Jonah prisoner, they didn't kill him, they didn't hang him, they didn't flay him. They believed him, they heard him, they believed in God. And what that belief does in Nineveh is it leads to sweeping reform. It leads to moral reform. It leads to revival. They, they turn from wickedness and they turn to a posture of fasting and repentance, the whole city from the least to the greatest of these. And by the time of the word of God through Jonah reaches the king of Nineveh, the repentance has already broken out in the streets of Nineveh from the greatest to the least. But the king himself takes it to heart and he believes that this is God's word. He believes God is true, honest. He believes in Yahweh in that moment. And he says, what is coming is real. This is what it says, verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, he removed his robe, he covered himself in sackcloth and he sits in ash and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, let them call out mightily to God, to Yahweh, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands, which we are known for. And then he says this, who knows? Who knows? God may relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. So what is already happening among the people, the king hears and makes law, right? He decrees it. There is a new city requirement for mourning and repentance, but the people have already begun this on their own accord because they believed in Jonah. They believed in the word of God. They believed in God himself. And not, not just the people are decreed to enter into a, a posture of mourning and fasting. The animals are told to fast, right? Not literally like cow fast, but the farmers are told, don't feed your flock food or water. The whole city, a holistic, it enters a holistic posture of repentance and they, they posture themselves as those who are dead, sitting in rags and sitting in ashes. Why do they do this? They posture themselves as dead because they are dead men and women. They know this. They believe it. They believe God's wrath is coming. And yet, the reasoning is simple. Who knows? Maybe, just maybe, God will turn from destroying us. Maybe we will not perish Quite interestingly, this is the third time in Jonah that a pagan, one who doesn't follow Yahweh, one who is not an Israelite, this is the third time in Jonah that a pagan has been concerned that people will not die. 
right? The sailors are first concerned that they would perish and their crew would perish in the storm, but, but Jonah is asleep. Then the sailors are concerned about killing Jonah themselves. They're worried about killing this Israelite who they don't know. And now in, in Nineveh, the king is concerned that his people will perish. Ironically, Jonah has not once expressed this concern. Jonah, it has not occurred to Jonah to wonder or ask God that people might be saved, that people could be spared. The people mount a last-ditch effort, but it's it's an effort that stems from a real fear, a real reverence, and a real belief in God, an effort that stems from belief in this God who has spoken through Jonah, and the people and the king identify themselves as we are the ones who have violated Yahweh's moral laws. We are the ones who have violated the moral standards. We are the ones who have followed false gods that have led us to violence and evil and wickedness, so we should turn from all that. We are the ones. They're, They're clear. It's clear to them. They all believed in God. They all fasted. They all put on sackcloth. They all posture themselves as dead men and women. Even the animals fast in repentance. This is kind of like what we do on Ash Wednesday. We, um, if you've been here a while and celebrated that, we, we utilize ash to mark ourselves as dead men and women in sin. And we do this as those who ask the question, who knows? We know. Who knows if God will relent on the wrath that is due to us because of sin? We know. That's why the ash is in the shape of a cross for us. It points forward to a surety, an assurance that we know that God does relent in Christ. We'll get there. But the Ninevites did not know, right? Did this pagan city become Yahweh worshipers overnight? Well, they clearly understood that there was coming punishment for their wickedness. They clearly understood that repentance and belief were the call of this message. They clearly understood that God would probably not relent, that God would probably not change his mind, that God would probably pour out justice and wrath on them. They clearly placed all their faith in Yahweh's sovereignty and grace and mercy. Right? So at least for this time, they revered and feared God in a way that they only could do one thing. We place ourselves fully in a posture of acceptance. God, if you would be gracious and merciful, we will accept that. But we anticipate death. We anticipate destruction. The Ninevites take the word of God and they hear it as special revelation to themselves, as outsiders of the people of God, but special revelation through Jonah. They hear that if they believe, they should repent, and in so doing, they hope against all hope that they might be saved, that they might be spared. But Jonah's message is pretty simple. You will be destroyed in 40 days. They place their faith in God's sovereignty and mercy and grace over the situation. So far from being passive, this is how they choose to spend what they believe is their last days on earth. Their last 40 days, they choose to say, we won't eat, we won't drink, we won't dress nice. So quite different from eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, the Ninevites choose a very different path. We won't eat, we won't drink, we won't be merry for tomorrow we die. Who knows? Who knows? Well, we know what happens. Verse 10, it says this, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way. 
God relented on the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. The prophetic word that came through Jonah was unfulfilled. Wrath did not come to Nineveh in 40 days, as was declared by God. So what is happening here? Did God lie? Did Jonah get it wrong? Did God change his mind? How does a sovereign God who knows everything, who is above all things, who is in control of all things, make such a quick, sudden shift? Actually, this happens in Scripture from time to time with prophecy. There's a category of prophecy that this fits under where God speaks to a people and he speaks a message of judgment or wrath and the message is not directed towards literal fulfillment. Instead, the message is being used as a tool, as a warning to the people so that God's true intention might come to pass. His true intention for Nineveh was not that they'd be destroyed, but that they would turn from their evil ways. So God's intention never changed. What God chose to do is bring about repentance in those who heard. Listen to what God says to Israel through the prophet Jeremiah. This is going to confirm that um, he knows what, uh, or this is going to confirm what's going on here in Jeremiah 18 um, and in Jonah 3. It says this, verse 1, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise, Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went, I being Jeremiah, went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel, and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and so the potter reworks the clay into another vessel, as it seemed good for the potter to do. And so then the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah, and this is how the Lord interprets that. O house of Israel, Can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare that a nation or kingdom that I will pluck up or break down and destroy it, if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build it up and plant it, if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. Now therefore, say to the men of Judah, Jeremiah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from evil, his evil way, and amend your ways and your deeds." What's God saying here? God's saying, I am the creator. Nations are but clay in my hands. And he also says that he will declare against nations what they should do. He will destroy or build up nations. And he says, if they turn from their evil, I will relent. Likewise, if they turn from their good, I will relent. So God says, I'm creator. I can do with the clay as I will. So it turns out God's desire in Nineveh was similar to this this proclamation, this prophecy in Jeremiah 18, that God's desire was not for destruction, but for repentance. In his sovereignty, he used Jonah and delivered a message of wrath, but not to bring about the destruction in Nineveh, instead to bring about Nineveh's repentance, instead to bring about moral reform. The message was that Nineveh would be destroyed in 40 days, which confirms the intention of God was repentance, not wrath and destruction. 
Why give Nineveh the heads up? Why tell Nineveh in 40 days, if not to invite them to turn? Right, like we have other examples of cities being destroyed by God with very little warning, like Sodom and Gomorrah. But here in Nineveh, repentance was God's intention. And so in his sovereignty, in his plan, he sent Jonah to proclaim wrath so that repentance would be the story of Nineveh. And it worked. So God doesn't modify his decision on on the fly. He relents, but he's not forced by human repentance. Instead, he is sovereignly and graciously ordained that he will be merciful to those who turn towards him. It's his very character. Threats of wrath here were intended not to bring about destruction, but to change behavior, and it works. So this is the story of the city of evil here, the city of Nineveh. And what do we do with it? I mean, what do we do with Jonah 3? Remember, the book of Jonah is not primarily about the Ninevites. It's not called Nineveh. It's called Jonah. It's about Jonah. But there's a lot we can learn about God through Jonah 3 and the characters in this act of the play. First, we learn that even though Jonah is obedient, the obedience that Jonah displays was very forced, right? Like God had to do a lot to get Jonah to go do what God had decreed that Jonah would do. Jonah is a reluctant prophet. Jonah finally does what he is asked to do by God, and it comes after he flees, and God appoints sailors and fish to swallow and vomit him up into the city. Jonah is a prophet. He speaks for God, but he is... He's a reluctant one. He's kind of a lousy one, right? And as we will see more next week, even when he does obey, he does so almost hopeful that God will destroy these people, not save them. And like I said earlier, Jonah never begs God to relent from destroying Nineveh. And by all accounts, he doesn't provide Ninevites with instructions on repentance or hope. They take all of that upon themselves as God power works in them because true repentance always comes from God and it's always for God. So this is our prophet and we need a better one. We need a better prophet and the better prophet that we get as God's people is Jesus. And Jesus comes to earth and he preaches a lot, but, but one of the things he preaches a lot is destruction. His king, the, the kingdom of God coming to bear on the earth. So when our unbelieving friends say, well, I believe in the things that Jesus taught, but I don't know that, I don't believe that he was the son of God. I really like the message of love and everything. They're leaving out huge swaths of Jesus' teaching about destruction for sin and judgment against evil. I guarantee they don't like those parts. Jesus proclaims judgment is coming on any who have sinned, and even worse, he proclaims that there are none that are free from sinning. So what does that mean? Jesus says, well, there's no one who is not guilty. No one is righteous. And therefore, God's wrath, his judgment is coming on everyone. But the prophecy of Jesus has very good news. The good news of Jesus' prophecy is that that wrath is coming, but it will be poured out on the Son. He will take upon the wrath that is reserved for those of us who are sinful. If only we believe him, if only we turn to him, the wrath that is promised, the wrath that is coming of sin, God won't relent and just not do it. No, wrath has to be poured out. Sin deserves death. He will take that death upon himself. He will take the wrath of God, the justice poured out for sin. The prophet who proclaims wrath coming also proclaims that he will take the wrath. 
Jesus proclaims in prophecy that his body will be destroyed, that destruction is coming as a result of sin, from the smallest sin to the greatest destruction is coming, and then his body is the body that's destroyed, and God attributes all that destruction, all that death that Christ takes to all who would believe in him, to all who would call upon his name. And then repent, turn from evil to him. So Jesus is the better prophet who prophesies knowing that wrath will be poured out on sin in him. On he who knew no sin, wrath will be poured out. He must suffer for those he loves. Likewise, the king of Nineveh is a figure worthy of admiration, right? The king believes in God and he casts his throne off under the king that is Yahweh and leads the people in repentance, decreeing a new law, one of repentance. Yet, it takes a threat of destruction for the king to actually step up and turn from evil in Nineveh. Like we've pointed out, God uses prophecy to destru- of destruction to bring about repentance often, and the king responds, but Jesus is the better king. Jesus not only is the perfect prophet who died in our place, but he is also the better king who rose again and now rules and reigns on the throne. And as king, what does he do? He invites us into repentance, but the way he does that is he pours out his very spirit upon his people in order to accomplish the work of repentance within us. So unlike the king in Nineveh who just has to mandate it in the city and hope for the best, hope everybody follows the repentance law, God in Christ as king mandates it and then he gives you his very spirit to accomplish it. No earthly king can do this. So not only do we follow our king in his posture of humiliation, exaltation, not only do we follow him low in suffering and then in glorification after we die or he returns back, not only do we have this journey to go on in repentance as those who follow Jesus, he also equips us for that with his Holy Spirit. Right? Like, so it's not up to us to just, I have to follow this perfectly or God won't relent his wrath. No, in Christ, his wrath has been poured out for those who believe. His wrath has been poured out, and it's from that place of confidence that we can say, oh Lord, I accept the punishment that you have taken on my behalf, and I invite your Holy Spirit, which you've promised will be poured out on me to cause me to grow into your image, to be sanctified into one who could follow your law. Finally, the Ninevites are worthy of acknowledgement. They hear God's word and they believe, they respond. What a picture of our journey as the church, I think, right? Like we, we hear God's word, we believe in it, and we respond in repentance after we believe and hear God's word that we've been saved from sin in Christ. We turn in repentance, turning from our old lives of sin and slavery and evil and turning towards God in righteousness. Remember, repentance is always from God and for his glory. Repentance is always from God and for his glory. So for the Ninevites, their repentance is brought forth through God's word, through God's power, and it's for his glory. Likewise, as the church is, by by the power of the Holy Spirit, by God's power, we're called into repentance through the power of the Holy Spirit. Likewise, we are being made into a new, better city. Not, Not Nineveh, 
We are, we are the bride of Christ. We are the church. We have a good king whom we follow. We have a prophet who proclaims his goodness primarily through his word. We have a Holy Spirit who brings about repentance in all of us from within. And we are being made into a new eternal city of God. Not a new Nineveh. Not a new pagan city of evil that repents even just for a little while. No, we're being made into a new Jerusalem, Revelation tells us. Why are we not being made into a new Nineveh, but a new Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem is the city of God's holiness. It's the city of God's presence. It's the city of God's presence. We are being made into a new city as the church where God will dwell in our midst. Revelation tells us that he will be the very light of the city. We won't need the sun, the stars, the moon. Christ will be our light. That's the city we are being shaped into through the Holy Spirit uh, that brings about repentance. That's the type of city that our King Jesus plans to rule in and not as some dictator, but as the light of the city in the midst of it, in the midst of his people. And it's because of our current reality and our future reality that we go to the table of the Lord's Supper every week. Okay, current reality, because we, we remember our need for Christ's death that we needed wrath to be poured out on somebody, and we proclaimed, oh Lord, would, it, would that it not be me? <laughs> would that it not be this city, but would that your son has taken the wrath reserved for me? And it's true. So we remember the broken body and the shed blood because we remember that God's wrath was poured out on the, the perfect son. And it's a reminder of a future reality is, is because we, we are looking forward to a day where that heavenly city is us, the saints, the brothers and sisters of Christ global, and where Christ is in our midst as our light and our king, and we will have a heavenly feast, a royal blank banquet for the royal priesthood of believers, as we are called. We remember our current need for Christ the prophet and king to mediate for us as a priest as well. He calls us to hear his voice to feast on his righteousness, to drink deep of his salvation, remembering that he took wrath. And we look forward to the heavenly city that we are being fashioned into where a heavenly feast awaits us. Not a new Nineveh, but a new city of God. Let's pray.